We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call and leave a message now at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. You can ask a question there via the listener inquiry button or, of course, listen to old archive shows on the website as well. Good morning, gentlemen. Good to see Good you morning, all. Good morning, Scott. Uh, talking about levels of debt, this is something we should be concerned about, I guess, considering low interest rates mm-hmm. and what we're all saddled with now. Especially yeah. retirees, too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and it's, it hit the news this past week on on our ratings, basically. A bit of a, uh, a warning about mm-hmm. you know potential recessions because of the debt levels we have. And it's kind of interesting. You go back to November 24th of, of last year, 2017, there was like warning bells then. And it actually yeah. has been for a few years. I know we've gone on... Uh, some interview shows with you there, Scott, in the mm-hmm. last couple of years talking about this. Yeah. Well, it hasn't seemed to stem the flow at all. No. Uh, so in 2017, at the end of there, they said household debt is the highest amongst any country mm-hmm. when they compared um, the debt to the GDP, gross domestic product. And that's any country. So it's a one, 101% of, is what it works out to. The second place is South Korea at 93%. UK is 88%, USA is 80%, and Germany, France are 60%. So it looks like, you know, Canadians are, are just, you know, racking up the debt. And a lot of this had to do with uh, mortgages. Yeah. Okay. There's a lot of people are just, uh, the, the housing prices continue to rise. People got the mortgages anyway. And so at least they have an asset attached to it. Mm-hmm. But it puts people in a precarious position if interest rates ever rise. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's the worry. So then, just last week, it, it showed that Canadians owe... trillion at the end of 2017. This was a 6% increase over the previous year. Mm. And the good news was 50% of people, almost 50%, reduced their personal liabilities. Yeah. They say, that's great. People, you know, starting to work. They were listening. They're chipping away. They're Mm -hmm. listening, right? They're Mm -hmm. chipping away at that debt, which was great. So I read that part and thought, what's the big worry? Well, the next line was, unfortunately, the bad news was 37% added to their debt. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, a bit more than a third. But they, the people that reduced their debt reduced it by less than the 37% that had increased their mm. debt. Uh-oh. So they end up with a net result of 33.3% increase in overall debt. So the average person in Canada now has owes about $23,000 mm-hmm. per person, not including the mortgage. Not including the mortgage. Not including yeah. the mortgage. So what's happening with... You know, we, we are, we're doing quite well. Um, you're seeing we had a lot of growth, uh, some of the best growth growth rates in Canada since 2011. But it, it's quite often people are saying, well, is it fueled by credit cards mm-hmm. and just consumer spending? So it, they had a, a study and basically there's China, Canada and Hong Kong are the most risk of a banking crisis. Say that, say that again, who? China, right? Canada and Hong Kong. Yikes. Okay. So really, you got two Chinas, okay, because Hong Kong's mm-hmm. part yeah. of China. Sure. And uh, in terms of the amount of debt that people are holding right now. And even the, so I said, the Canadian economy grew the fastest since 2011, but how much is it being fueled by debt? Yeah. And what I find, it's a bit of a cycle. See, people get a mortgage, and they start to fall behind a bit, so then they may get a line of credit. Mm-hmm. And if they have enough equity in the house, great, you can get a, a homeowner's ac- a line of credit. And you get still a pretty good interest rate. So, you know, mortgage rates are, say, 3.5%. Line of credits are, call it 4% if you can have it attached um, to, to your house. Um, then, yeah, if you don't have that, you get into the personal loans. Then you're starting to pay, you know, 6 7 8%. Mm-hmm. 
Well, then I find that the credit cards start to happen. Yeah. And then you're getting into 20% debts. So your cost of borrowing is at 20%. And again, the last and <laughs> my favorite one that I hate is payday loans. Mm-hmm. And and that's kind of the, the cycle. Yeah. And what happens also in this cycle is is one debt doesn't show up in all this. Yeah. That's leasing. Mm. Hmm. Okay. You have the cars. Yeah. People are out there and so I won't get a loan. I, I may not qualify for a car loan, but I can go lease. Yeah. It doesn't it, same thing. You, you still have to apply. Yeah. But there's they're they're very lenient on leasing. And so it's another payment per month. What is the government what is the plan for this? Because obviously uh people you know, will listen when they're told to, to pull it back a bit, although not that much. Uh, at the end of the day, how does that kind of debt affect policy in the sense that if the interest rates, here's here's the Bank of Canada trying to slowly, gradually put rates back up, but mm-hmm. they know if they do it, you know, they, they may not be reacting just to the economy, but the fact that they're carrying, that Canadians are carrying so much debt, how much does that play into how much or, or how often they raise rates? Because it's obviously a huge factor. And now. not to mention the government debt they have yeah. themselves. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You know, and you're right. That's something that they have to look at. Uh, they, they've been warning people for quite some time, both, um, you know, the conservatives yeah. and now the liberals. I've been, I've trying to make rules to make it harder to get, you right. know, say, mortgages. Um, you have to, starting January 1st of this year, um, to uh, be approved for a mortgage. So is this a train wreck waiting to happen? Is this inevitable? I don't know. What, you know, it reminds me, what, what? What do you need for someone to change their behavior? You know, if you're usually a shock, usually yeah. a shock, right? So you think back to 2008, the financial crisis. Well, right after that, when the housing market collapsed in the U.S. and the U.S. consumer retrenched, and they just started paying down debt, paying yeah. down debt, paying down mm-hmm. debt, because they had been shocked into this this mm-hmm. new reality, and um, and. Canadians, for the most part, just sort of breeze yeah. through it. Yeah. You know, we yeah, didn't, see, we didn't yeah. see a drop in our real estate prices dramatically in any sense. And then, uh, so the party just continued. Yeah. And so until we get a, a shock necessarily, I don't know if, it's, if it'll work. I mean, retirees might be the only people who really begin to think heavily about getting mm. rid of their debt. Yeah. You know, yeah. other than that, when you're young, you're probably thinking, I've yeah. got lots of time. Mm-hmm. And you really, it comes down to discipline, as Andy just said. Yeah. You know, you have to have some kind of discipline, a, a plan. Um, what what are the wants versus needs? Are you buying too much car? Mm-hmm. Do you really need that BMW rather than whatever the other make mm-hmm. is that will get you through that? Because um, considering your debt, and you got to say, do you deserve this? You know, if certainly if you can yes. afford yes. BMW. Yeah, the well, answer yeah. to that question is, maybe you do deserve The question it is always yes to that one. <laughs> we need a new question. <laughs> Good point, Scott. Uh, maybe you're asking the wrong person if you deserve yes. it or not. Yeah, maybe I should leave the room while you're going through this part. <laughs> <laughs> but you look at, say, a $500,000 mortgage, which isn't even a giant mortgage these days. No. That's a commonplace, if not even on the low side. A 3.5% mortgage, if all of a sudden interest rates tick up, and they're not, and they're they're on a say a yearly mortgage, which I find is fairly risky, or a variable rate mortgage right mm. now. I would personally, I would lock up for five years. There's there was lots of news though this past week about how uh, more are looking back at variable again. Hmm. Well, probably from an affordability. Yeah, you know, because if interest rates are the U.S. certainly is, or even at, how much they have to go up to even you know warrant a fixed. I mean, at one time if they were both the same, but now I guess we're heading back to that territory where one might be more. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. There's yeah. no crystal ball in that. Yeah, like, yeah. and it's you can always play a devil's advocate. Personally, I guess I I lean on the conservative side. Yeah. That 
if interest rates drop, well, you're not hurt if you fix yeah. it. Mm-hmm. But if interest rates rise, yeah. you will be hurt yeah. if you don't fix it. Yeah. So I kind of rather avoid pain, right. <laughs> okay, yeah. than the than the pleasure side of, of a dropping interest rate environment, which we don't see right now. Yeah. Most most experts don't think, think that's it's going up. Yeah. 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 So you look at this mortgage. You got a half a million dollar mortgage at three and a half percent. Well, that's twenty five hundred a month. Okay, I can deal with that. Well, let's say it jumps to five percent, which isn't a massive jump. In fact, actually, in the last year. We've seen interest rates on a five-year mortgage go up by full percentage. Mm-hmm. They've gone from two and a half to three and a half, <clears throat> if not more. So all of a sudden, your mortgage is now at twenty-nine hundred a month. That's only four hundred dollars a month, you might say. <clears throat> well, if you're an average Joe, making say fifty to seventy thousand a year, you're in a thirty percent tax bracket. You need to make seven thousand dollars more mm-hmm. a year. Mm-hmm. Pay thirty percent of that to the government tax to come up with that extra four hundred a month. Right. Or mm-hmm. You're either going to have to change your lifestyle yeah. or you start going into more debt. Yeah. And this is the whole vicious circle. And then you get into the credit card debt. You know, some people, it all depends on your view on credit cards, but a $10,000 credit card at 20% is $166 a month, just yeah. in interest. Yeah. And, and quite often, you know, when we're looking at the average Canadian right now mm-hmm. with $23,000 in debt on non mortgage debt, if it's in credit cards Yikes. instead of, you know, yeah. you're, you're looking at, $380 a month in just interest just payments. Interest. To carry it, yeah. Just to carry it. Yeah. And that's where you got to get some help. If yeah. you are, if you seem, seem to find your credit cards are, are slowly rising, there is an end to that. Mm-hmm. It's not a pretty ending. So yeah. you have to sit and talk to some kind of credit counseling and just Google that. You'll, you'll find some out there that, and that's their job. Yeah. And there are some free services to help you with the credit counseling. Mm-hmm. There, and there still continues to be a group of people that will carry a balance on their credit card, even though they have cash, Yeah. right? Yeah. They, they have the money available. Well, that's set aside for an emergency. I know I owe three grand on my uh, my credit card, but I don't want to pay it off because I need I need that other cash in case something comes along. Mm. Thinking, well, yeah. we've got to change that psyche in mm-hmm. any way possible. So you think lines you think lines of credit sort of changes that mentality? No, yeah. it can. Uh, although I still see people that will carry a credit card debt even though they have the money to pay it off. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah that's, uh, that's odd. Common. It doesn't it doesn't mm-hmm. it doesn't make a lot of sense at the end of the day. And I, the whole debt thing, and and that was a lot of information and I wanted to sort of focus it around retirees mm-hmm. and um, and the fact that, you know, I'm calling it basically the cost of long living, <laughs> living <laughs> longer. But, uh, you know, so th- as far as retirees, we know that Canadians are living longer statistically and obviously we've, we're saving money for retirement and in fact, the RSP just had its 60th anniversary. We'll talk more about wow. that. Oh. And, um, you know, but it is about managing debt and certainly, um, you know, are you going to be spending your savings or are you going to be leaving money to the next generation? But more and more, we're seeing the retirees with debt and uh, it could be in the form of a mortgage. It could be in, f- in the form of a home equity line of credit, maybe a personal line of credit or credit cards. And Statistics Canada is telling us that 34% of retirees age 55 to 70 are carrying debt. Is that bad planning or just longevity? Uh, that part, I think, is bad planning. Yeah. Yeah. If you... Um, you know, if if you're living till seventy, that's you're not you're hoping to live longer than that anyway. Yeah. So if you're still carrying debt at seventy, mm, then yeah, I think I think that is going to be part of the bad bad planning. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But as Don was talking about the increase in consumer debt for all Canadians, Equifax just released a study in 2017 that seniors, those over age 55, are actually increasing their debt at a faster pace than the average Canadian. Hmm. So they're wow. basically they're growing, their debt levels are growing faster than anybody else. Mm. And, um, 
So the problem is that once you're retired, how do you keep up? If your debt payments are going to be increasing potentially with interest rates going up, that means you're going to have to curtail some of your retirement dreams. So I want to talk a little bit about why this is happening. I want to talk about some of the solutions and run run through one example that we had with a client who was entering retirement with debt as well. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services. You can call them and leave a message right now. They will return your call 905-529-7165 that's 905-529-7165 and take a peek at the website andyanddon.com that's andyanddon.com we're coming right back we are planning your financial future i'm scott thompson andy lister and don fox are here from investors group financial services inc the website andyanddon.com and you can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165 they will return your call talking about retiring with debt yeah, as I said, StatsCan is telling us that over one-third of retirees, 55 or older, uh, are carrying debt into retirement. And so why is it happening? And part of that survey back, this is a 2015 survey, that uh, helping children, yeah. so helping mm. our adult children, 18% of first-time home buyers, their down payment has been paid for by a relative. So... You know, about 20, how has almost, that how has that changed over the years? Is that just recently because kids are having such a hard time? Is that something you're seeing an increase in, or is it you've always found? That I think it's always been there. Yeah. I don't think there's been you know if a parent had some resources or the capacity to help out with buying a home, mm-hmm. that was always something that's been part of the financial equation. But you know, 25 years ago, it was maybe you know five grand or help yeah. you you know pinch in and pay for some some of the stuff. Now it's uh, it's almost a prerequisite because yeah. it's more difficult for a young couple to save enough to buy sure. a, to get the down payment together. So helping children is definitely part of that, and that's so that's something we need to think about. And the other side of the uh, ledger, you've got aging parents. Mm-hmm. So if you're a 60 year old retiree with a you know 90 year old parent that uh, you Never may be thought help- of that. Yeah, <laughs> you may be helping yeah. them in terms of their ongoing costs yeah. and their care. And um, and we've also been, you know, lulled into a low interest rate environment. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. So even the debt we have, well, it's not really costing us that much on a monthly basis. You know, we can handle it. And uh, the, But the problem is that it's not part of the plan. Mm-hmm. Right? And so uh, that's where, I think that's where, oops, pardon me. Uh, that's where we get into trouble. If it's not part of your plan, how are you going to deal with it? And um, in fact, looking again back, I like to look at these surveys to find out what's the theme going out there. What are we hearing about? 27% of high net worth Canadians plan to have a mortgage while retired. Again, almost a third, 27%. High net worth. High net worth Hmm. plan to have a mortgage while retired. And 67% of those who have a mortgage have the cash to pay it off. Hmm. So they're and doing so it because they can. They're doing it because they can. And and so in many cases, for example, a retirement plan may have been around buying a second property. Mm-hmm. So you're buying a cottage, I'm going to buy a place down south. And instead of triggering capital gains by selling an investment or perhaps cashing in RSP, that would be a, another tax blunder. But um, you know, instead of cashing in your investments to pay cash for your second property, they're borrowing against the equity in right. their home, using mm-hmm. a home equity line of credit, and using the borrowed money to finance the second property, mm. even though they have the cash to pay it off. Mm. And um, so, of course, the problem, the big concern would be what happens in a period of rising interest rates. How much is that going to continue to pinch or curtail your retirement spending and your retirement plans? And eventually, you never know, you could be forced to sell the house, yeah, right? If yeah. there's not enough money to be able mm-hmm. to sustain our boomer retirement. 
So what are some of the solutions? Obviously restructuring your debt. So in that case, if you're leveraging or you've borrowed money to buy another property, um, you know, the goal obviously is to is to lower your interest costs when you restructure and take those interest costs to continue to pay down your debt or accelerate your debt, right. debt repayment. And, um, and I guess finally, the other part would be budgeting. So you've got to look at how can I reduce spending and uh, how can I free up some additional capital for debt repayment? And it doesn't take a ton to make a big difference. So a client, a 60-year-old client who uh, came to us a couple of years ago, they had a $100,000 mortgage roughly, and I think they were paying about 3.5%. They were making extra payments, 1000 a month. They had credit card debt of 3500 and they had a personal line of credit, which was for a wedding, of thirty grand. So about 133500 of debt. And they were paying 1350 a month. So they wanted to get this done by the time they were 70. So basically, they're going to spend the next 10 years, along with their retirement, focusing on having to get rid of debt. Mm. 1350 a month is going to be going towards servicing this debt. So I actually um, restructured it. We lowered the interest rate. We, I uh, looked at their spending and uh, added another 150 on top of that. So a total of 1500 a month going out to get rid of these debts. And basically, we saved them about uh, 18 months worth of interest. Mm. And we'll have it done in about eight and a half years instead of uh, 10 years originally. Mm. And um, so, you know what? At the end of the day, if you don't, you need to have a plan in place because now they can sleep at night. They yeah. know that it's it's under control. There is a strategy to get rid of it over time. And, uh, and, and they, uh, you know, but it's amazing how much they're looking forward to that day. So they're still retired now yeah. and they're trying to enjoy their retirement, but in the back of their mind, and then when they go to bed at night, they were still worrying about that debt yeah. and how to get rid of it. Mm. Yeah. The quality of life, it's not, it's not worth, that's not what you, you know, you drew up and you said, I'm going to retire comfortably yeah. is to worry about debt. Yeah. You know, that's not what it's all about. And how long before they raise the retirement age again? Because this just seems to be the norm because people are living longer, e- even though they've saved, I mean... Again, you know, our parents' generation, you were lucky if you lived to your 70s. Yeah. Now it now it's 80s, 90s, and centurions. Yes. Well, I mean, th- isn't this just the new reality? Well, I think that's, the, that's part of the plan when Don and I look at it is to say, mm. listen, you know what? If you want to retire at 60 and you want to get rid of this debt, uh, here's what we're going to have to do. Mm. But what if you worked till 65 and we could really aggressively go after this debt? Would you rather work for five more years and have it all done? Mm-hmm. Or would you rather... Uh, retire now, but have this in the back of your Hang mind over, for the yeah. next decade. Mm. And, and for that matter, a lot of people are working past that 65 number. Yeah. yeah. And and again, that leaves a lot of other decisions. What should you be doing as far as your um, OAS, your mm-hmm. old age security? Um, if you're making over that 75000 a year, you probably should not be applying for your old age security. Mm-hmm. That's one I find a lot of people aren't aware of. It's a, it's a fairly recent change. And I try to bring it up a fair bit because, you know, it's a reality. People are working... Well, I've, I can think of a number of them off the top of my head are working into closer to 70 now, yeah. 68 to 69. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, and they're still making great money. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. they're doing yeah. better than ever. They don't want to quit. They've, they finally mm-hmm. got to this pinnacle and they're not working quite as hard. They still love it. They're, they're mostly into their job. Yeah. And so, you know, how do you take the old age security? Just delay it. You'll get 30% more if you delay it to 70. Mm-hmm. Now, I wouldn't suggest, you know, you, you delay it to 70 on purpose unless you're making over... That's 75000 right. a year, right. and you're still working. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it was interesting. I, I read uh, not long ago, and I usually don't bring up these predictions too, lo- too much because I always find them a bit of a farce. 
And there was one here by Gordon Pape uh, back uh, January 3rd. And it had six predictions for 2018. Mm-hmm. And number one was U.S. stocks will move higher initially, followed by a correction of 10%. Well, I said, well, that already happened. That was pretty good. Um, higher interest rates, which mm-hmm. we were just talking about, yeah. which is already starting to happen. That, I don't think that's that hard of a prediction because it was already happening anyway. Uh, return of inflation. Mm. And this is one that's already happening too. Um, consumer price index was 2.1% November, if it was annualized. That was up 50% from October, which was 1.4%. So inflation is starting to gear up, which yeah. goes hand in hand with interest rates. Bond market woes. If interest rates rise, bonds do poorly, which they did in 2017, in which case you may need to look at maybe floating rate bonds. And certainly if you lock your money up at a GIC at 1.6%, and meanwhile inflation is running too, you're behind the ballgame already. Yeah. Never mind paying tax on that 1.6. The one I thought was kind of interesting here, trade wars deepen. <laughs> there you go. You got that one right on, I'll tell you. This is all in the first quarter. You mm. said these are the predictions for 2018. Mm. And lastly, the, the loony will fall, which it already has, yeah. actually. Um, and again, a lot to do with interest rates. So here, interest rates, inflations, we're talking about debt. The other part is, well, if you're going to look at this, you got to really manage your money for inflation, too. Mm-hmm. And with longevity, as we just talked about, people living to 100 I know uh, Andy and I, our plans often are, uh, we, we make plans at age 95. Mm-hmm. So we put that in, and, and usually we think that's a stress test. Yeah. Okay, well, j- just in case you live to 95. Well, they're looking at a nine-fold increase in the number of centurions yeah. between 2013 and 2063. Ninefold. So there's going to be a, a massive amount of people living longer, and the majority of those are women. Mm-hmm. Okay, women certainly have a better, better chance of h- hitting those numbers. But an average 65-year-old, doesn't matter if you're a smoker, male, female, whatever, is 21 years after 65. So that means you made it to 76. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's just average. And certainly, um, you know, non-smokers and females, the average at that time is about 87. Yeah. And men is actually 83 if you're a non-smoker. Mm-hmm. So, but again, you have to look at everything in, in a lot of detail because now you're not planning your retirement for 10 years. You're retiring, you're planning your retirement for 35 years. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's way different that's, than it was. And, and I've talked to you many times about having the discussion 20 years ago with people that, that were retired longer than they ever worked. Now mm. that happens all the time. Anytime you go to a funeral home and you're talking to old older people, they will say, well, yeah, that's me. That's yeah. me. And I mean, how can you sustain an economy doing that? Right. Seriously. Mm. Oh, absolutely. What health, ha- the healthcare costs, potentially. Yes, and, 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 sure. you know, and, and, and it's going to take 20 years for this segment of the population to move through. So can we sustain that for 20 mm-hmm. years? Good question, Scott, but we work at one at a time here. <laughs> <laughs> so we, All right, you work on that. I'm going to go out for a sec. I'll be right back. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we look at, uh, you know, the retirement lifestyle. Uh, get a detailed budget. Yeah. Don't just make, a, you know, emotional decisions. And work it out exactly like, uh, you know, Andy was talking about helping out adult children. Mm-hmm. Can you afford to? What does that mean you can't do now? Yeah. And if, if you do do this, that's fine. But does that mean you stop going to Florida or you buy a car every 10 years versus every five years? It's a lot of peer pressure because I was gonna the say, Jones, you want to keep up with yeah. the Joneses. Yeah. Or, or it's helping or, out with a wedding, helping out with a house. Or their kids. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> keep and, up with the Joneses' kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a sandwich generation, not only... The adult kids, as, as Andy was talking about, of course, your 
parents that are now yeah, 90. Yeah. And perhaps uh, they aren't in great financial That's shape, right. too. So here. Burning uh, away your inheritance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, or you're burning away your, your kids' inheritance yeah. because you're actually borrowing for them, too. That's right. So it makes it tough. So you, you have to step aside, take a look at a non emotional budget of, okay, what's coming in? Where's it all going? You know, that first 10 years, yeah, you may take more vacations, have mm. more fun. Uh, the next 10 years may be more uh, medical costs. Yeah. You know, and uh, it, it, at the end of the day, it, you may spend the same in the first 10 as the second 10, just on different categories. Right, yeah. Okay. Mm. And so you you look at your RSPs, that will help, but you also have to look at your non-registered investments. And are they able to beat inflation? Okay, so if inflation rises, are you going to do okay? Are you going to be so safe that you're actually risky? Mm. Meaning you're, you've locked your money at one and a half percent. Well, that sounds safe. Uh, to me, that sounds risky because you're actually losing value every year. Right. Okay. And so you, tax bracket management, how do you let, take out these RSPs at a very conservative um, tax bracket? So you're mm-hmm. not you know, hurting your estate. Then, well, if you're going to do that, then where are you going to put that money? Tax-free savings accounts, which are a great idea. Um, that OAS and CPP decision is, is, is a really big one. And I find this is the one that I find people are some, somewhat lackadaisical about. They talk to their friends and so forth, and they say, well, you know what? My friend re- took it at age 60, loves it, doing mm. great. Well, how much does that cost to them if they live a long time? It's quite expensive. So I've done a little chart here. And so let's say a, a 60-year-old, a 65-year-old, and a 70-year-old. Okay, you have a choice before taking your Canada pension plan. So 65 is kind of the norm. Mm-hmm. And let's say you're going to get $1,000 a month at 65. Well, at 60, if you take it early, you're going to get 640 a month. And at 70, if you could put it off to then, and you feel you got a lot of longevity, it's 1420 a month. Wow. 42% increase. Mm. So the first 60, if you died at age 65, you're going to say, well, at least I got my 38,000 by taking it out early. Because the other people starting at 65 or 70, they haven't got a, a penny. Mm-hmm. So that's the risk. That $38,000 risk mm-hmm. is that you may die before age 65. Right. Okay. Well, let's say you hit 70 now. Well, now you're going to have $77,000 if you started at 60. You're going to have $60,000 if you started at 65. So you've almost caught up the mm-hmm. difference. Yeah. The 70, if you start at 70, you still haven't caught up. At 75, and most people do live at 75. That's almost, mm-hmm. that's actually below average. You'll have $115,000 you would have collected out of your Canada pension plan by starting at 60. You would have had 120000 if you started at 65. Mm. So you already got more money starting at 65 than 60 if you just live to, actually the break even is around 74. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, starting at 70, you haven't caught up yet. You got about 85,000. Well, then you get up to say 85. And there's a lot of 85 year olds out there. And if, had you started your Canada pension plan early, you would have 192,000. If you start, wait till 65, it would have been 240. Hmm. So now we're talking about $48,000 more you're now ahead of, uh, you know, that 38,000. Wow. And by the way, you've also would have been better off by waiting until 70. You would have collected 255,000 of Canada Pension Plan now. Mm. So the break even for starting at 70 is about age 84. Okay. So you got to look at that 84 is a bit of a push. But if you're going to live to that magic number of say 100, okay, and my, and my, my grandparents, uh, you know, they, they made it to 94. Wow. So... And Canada Pension Plan really wasn't, you didn't have those options back then. Mm. But these are the options you have to look at now. 
If you lived to the magic age of 100, if you started at age 60, you would have got $307,000 by the government sent to you. 65, you would have got 420, $113,000 more, okay? And if you start, waited till 70 to start, you would have got 511,000 of Canada Pension Plan. My. Almost more than 200,000, yeah. more than the person starting at age 60. So this is a guaranteed index pension. And this is why I'm looking at, if you're looking at retirement, Think of this as your defined benefit plan. Your RSPs, yeah, they're, you don't know what they're going to do. You have to invest the money. You, they, mm -hmm. They'll go up and down with the returns of either the market or their interest rates. But if you're looking at a, as a retirement, how important inflation planning is, if you had, you needed $4,000 a month at 65 to retire on, in 10 years at 2% inflation, you're up to f about 4,900 a month. Mm -hmm. So you got to get 900 more a month. But if you have 4% inflation, you're almost at 6,000 a month in 10 years. Massive difference. So inflation is, is a killer. So uh, uh, if you have a 20-year a, a retirement, so you went from age 65 to age 85, even at low inflation levels, it's about $6,000 a month. Mm -hmm. So your 4,000 went to 6,000. If you had 4% inflation, you're up to 8,700. You've more than doubled in, in 20 years. So you need to plan for inflation. And this is why a financial planner, making sure you got not only your CPP organized, your Canada Pension Plan <coughs> organized rather, your OAS, but also your investments to make sure they're inflation-proof. Inflation we are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. Check out the website at andyanddon.com. You can listen to old shows there and ask a question via the listener inquiry button, or you can call now and leave a message. They will return your call at 905-529-7165. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Here is Andy Lister and Don Fox. They are from Investors Group. You can call them now. Leave a message at 905-529-7165 or check out their website, andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. Talking about the birthday of CPP. Hey. Now, do they, do, do, do they have enough invested for their retirement, CPP? <laughs> That's right. They're doing pretty good. They're doing, doing very well. Fine. They'll be fine, will they? Yeah. That's good. <coughs> Pardon me. Guess how old Canada Pension Plan is? I don't know. <laughs> Older than RSPs? I think it is. I think it is too. I think yep. 57 was RSPs. Well, same year. Oh. Yep. Canada oh, it Pension is the plan. same year. Yep. Canada Pension Plan and uh, RSPs all back in 19, uh, 1957. Mm. And um, so with, with the... Um, RSP, sorry, RSP anniversary of 1957. Uh, it's interesting because uh, back then we had no Canada pension plan, right? There was mm -hmm. no Canada pension plan. And it was just uh, old age security in 1957. And uh, so the RRSP was the only option that you could have. And um, but you know what? People haven't been using it that much as as much as they could. Plus, back then it was there was a lot heftier pensions, was there not? So perhaps not Good the point. need. Yeah. So it was uh, 1957. Only 10 percent of your earnings were allowed to go into the RRSP mm. plan, and it was uh, to a maximum of 2,500 dollars, mm -hmm. 2,500 bucks. And also in 1957, only life insurance companies were, were able to offer mm. uh, RSPs. Mm -hmm. And uh, in 1968, 
it was there was 172,000 Canadians that had an RRSP plan. So by 1968, um, about a decade later, about 172,000 had participated in it. And then in 1974 was the introduction of the spousal RRSP. Mm-hmm. And 1978, four years later, saw the introduction of the RIF, Registered Retirement Income Fund. So that's interesting. So that was basically 20 years after they started the the RSP plan Mm -hmm. that um, they introduced the RIF. And because really there was no other way to take money out other than purchasing an annuity or cashing it in. Mm -hmm. And so uh, at the time... People were looking for more flexibility, and the government introduced the Registered Retirement Income Fund. Now, just out of curiosity, what do you think? Originally, the RRSP plan, what do you think it was It was called? Was it called the Registered Tax Deferral Plan, or B, the Deferred Tax Account, or C, the Registered Retirement Annuity? I would say the C. Correct. There you go. The registered retirement annuity was the original name of the RSP plan. 1990 saw a big change where they increased your contribution limit to 18% of your income from 10%. So that was quite a big jump. Yeah. And uh, Don and I were just running through some of the the inflationary numbers. And when you think about $2,500 was the limit back in 1957, and that was based on 10% of your income. At 18% of your income on the limit today at 26000 works out to about a 3% inflation adjustment all the way along. Yep. Mm. So pretty accurate in the sense yeah. that they've been consistent all the way along. And um, The biggest difference, like you said, is it was 10%. Now it's 18% exactly. of your income. Yeah. And because uh, uh, if they hadn't... If if they hadn't made that change, then of course we wouldn't be able to put nearly as much. Well, for years when we first started, it was thirty five hundred, and then it went to fifty five hundred. Right. And so what was happening is that uh, periodically governments would just increase the amount. Nice right. even numbers too, yeah. which was really Kept easy to nice remember. Even <laughs> <laughs> but they didn't have that uh, the carry forward. The then. carry forward was introduced in nineteen ninety. Ah. That's mm. what it was. So, ah, I'm glad you brought that up. Mm. <laughs> and at the time, it was seven years. You were only allowed to carry forward your unused contributions by by seven years. And in fact, seven years later, in 1997, the government changed it again, and they made it an indefinite carry forward. Mm-hmm. So there was no limit. And at that point, by 1997, there were 6.2 million Canadians making contributions to the RRSP plan. And... Um, you know, and today, more than ever, I think the RSP plan is the cornerstone, particularly for those that are self-employed, mm-hmm. people, uh, those that don't have a, a pension plan at work. Uh, it is the number one way to save. It's backed off a little bit. The peak we saw was in 2007, uh, where most of the money went into these plans. And um, and I think it was about 6.5 million Canadians were participating in it. And that's dropped down to about 6 million today. But the TFSA has also taken away some of the shine right, yeah. off the RRSP as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, again, the RSP makes so much sense. If you're in a high tax bracket today, the purpose in putting it in, saving yourself tax, and then being able to withdraw that money when you're in a low tax bracket at some point in the future. Mm-hmm. So again, uh, 60 years for our RRSP plan, and it's been... Uh, it's been a, a, a journey. I think about it'd be interesting to talk to somebody who actually originally started one from day yeah, one, yeah. the very mm-hmm. first uh, RSPs. It, interesting enough, I did meet somebody ages yeah. ago, and they, they actually bought it through the post office. Hmm. Wow. One of the original ones. And it was a, a very you know small amount. I think it was like 
$500 or something. And they also sold RSPs back then. Hmm. It was one of the original ones. And uh, again, when they had the annuity word attached to it, they always meant it was attached to an insurance company. But RSPs, 1957, Canada Pension Plan, you had to wait until 1965 hmm. for the Canada Pension Plan to kick in. Right. So that... Uh, that there you had that little window, but as you mentioned, Scott, there's a big decline in defined benefit plans over that time. Yeah. And the Canada Pension Plan has become a bigger and bigger part. And and really the government has been has been adjusting these simply to get people to catch up because and, and plan for their own because it's the, the chances of them having one within their company just isn't as great as it was in years past. No, they are again the RSP, I think it's the go-to solution for so many people, yeah. you know, to the fa- to the extent that you can maximize every year, put a plan in place. And if you're self-employed, running your own business, you know, it's yeah. it's key. And you're portable. It's very portable. How many people stay with the same company now? Yeah. So with group RSPs, they're going from one company to the next, to the next, to the next, carrying that big bundle of RSP money with them. So it's a, it's a fantastic tool. We are planning your financial future. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. And don't forget to check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. Going to take a quick break. We're coming back. We are planning your financial future. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can check out their website at andyanddon.com. There you can hear old archive shows as well. Ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Of course, you can call, leave a message. They will return your call at 905-529-7165. Talking about snowbirds. Yes, it's uh, that time of year where people are thinking, do I really want to go back to Canada? (laughs) I hear it's getting warmer, but then next thing you know, there's a snowstorm that hits in March and uh, I can't blame them. It's beautiful weather down in Florida right now or wherever they may be in the U.S. and But it's just not like, it's not like going to another province. Mm-hmm. It's a different country. Yeah. And you start to you sometimes forget about, you know, the legalities mm-hmm. of being down there. And so they have a substantial um, um, present test, which basically is you're allowed 183 days over three years. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what they do, they wait the amount of days in each year. So right now you have to add 100% of the d- current years. So in 2017, for example, if you're there 100 days, you take 100 days plus a third of the previous years. So if you go 100 years, 100 days in each year, well, the next one would be 33. Mm-hmm. And you take a sixth of the next, which would be about 15. You're under the 183 days. So it's quite simple. Oh, yeah. Very, yeah, very straightforward, right? How they came up with this. How, okay. do you ba- how does a snowbird balance that and when they take <laughs> their prescription? Right. <laughs> so that's, that's a substantial test. So to avoid trying to work this out all the time, I would recommend, and most snowbirds know about this form, it's an IRS form 8840. It's a closer connection exemption statement for aliens. Mm. And anybody that is (laughs) not part of the US apparently is an alien. Well, that's what they think of Canadians right now, really, I think. (laughs) I think you're right. In fact, I would recommend this even more so now because I think you're going to see more clampdowns on visitors to the US. Certainly under the you know the Trump administration, mm-hmm. they're looking more at that. I would definitely recommend the 8840 form. It allows a Canadian to stay in the U.S. for 182 days, period. Mm-hmm. No problem. Mm-hmm. You have to fill it in every year. And they, so first of all, you have to qualify. You have to be there for under 183 days, so 182 or, le- or, or more or less. Able to establish you have a home in Canada during that current year. You have to show that. 
able to establish a closer connection to Canada versus the U.S. So they ask a bunch of questions such as, um, where's your permanent home? Um, where do you keep your belongings? Uh, where your family? Where does your family live? Do you like maple syrup? <laughs> and there's a good one right there. Do you like hockey? Hockey. <laughs> uh, who's your favorite hockey team? Uh, reg- <laughs> register to vote. That is one. Actually, the hockey team were joking. No. Okay. But where did you? Where are you registered to vote? And uh, where's your driver's license from? Mm. And healthcare. Where did you purchase it, or where do you have it? Yeah. So it was, those are some of the questions. Simple questions, but it just it, it's actually a fairly easy form. Can't stress enough how important this is for those snowbirds. So if that wasn't a, a, a good enough form, they have some other ones here. And uh, this one here I thought was interesting. It's uh, a U.S. customs form. So for Canadian snowbirds, and allows people that, say somebody's driving their car. And you want to, you're driving your car, it's your car, but your yeah. stuff's in it, but you're going to fly down. Well, you better get some extra forms for this, okay? For someone to take your car across the border. Yes. Because I've heard about that, where the parents will fly down, then the kid will come mm-hmm. down with a car. Right. And it's, this is to go to the U.S. Customs Immigration Form for Canadian Snowbirds. It's a CBP Form 3299. It's a declaration for free entry of unaccompanied articles. And basically, if somebody is driving your car with all this stuff, it allows them to get through the border wow. easier. Wow. Okay. That's to go to Canada. Yeah. Of course, there's a different form on the you way back. to but, the United States. I mean, to the USA. Right. Thank you. Thanks for correcting me. It's to get you to Florida, per se. But if you want to have somebody drive it back mm. to Canada, yeah. there's another form. And that form is uh, a CBA form, e- form E15, certica- Certificate of Destruction slash, slash Exportation. And this is another form. So if somebody's driving all your belongings, that they won't have to pay duty and taxes on your own personal goods. What if you're driving? What if they're driving you back in the back seat? And you're no, problem. <laughs> no problem. No problem. <laughs> you're in the back seat. It's all good. But there is some uh, some very important forms. Um, and and finally, there's this other form that you may if you have to file a, a tax return there, and because you want to claim some some items off the tax treaty. And this is an IRS form 1040 nr it's it's called a u.s non-resident alien income tax return mm-hmm. okay because you're non-resident you may want to file this because let's say you uh, you have a big capital gain there but you're you you'll get some adjustment in canada so you don't pay double taxation because right. you, you're a resident of canada so then you do have to file an income tax return in the u.s mm-hmm. along with this form and avoids the double taxation uh, most accountants would help you with this one. Bottom line is when you're down in Florida, you do need to be aware of of this extras that you might have. It's a lot easier to get your firearms across than it is your body. <laughs> That's right. That's what it appears. You can't get your belongings across, but you're allowed the firearm. That's right. I, I hey, no meat in that car, but yeah, you can no bring kidding. the gun. Exactly. Do you have a Do you have an apple? <laughs> yeah, Where, exactly. Where'd you get that apple from? Exactly. <laughs> Listen, I'm just. Got, it's a quick change, and I know we're not going to have time to cover it, so we'll finish it next week. But it was. Uh, I often come across uh, in our journals that we read court cases mm. that are sort of precedent about how couples arrange their affairs or don't arrange their affairs. But in this case, it was a um, regarding gifting of assets. And this is the Johnson versus Song case. And there was a court a decision handed down uh, in February. And, and the, basically what happened was that the father transferred ownership of his home to the mother of their child. 
And as the story unfolds, we'll find out why they went to court to figure this thing out. Because uh, the original purpose, the mother said, I'm concerned that if you drop dead, I'm going to be left high and dry without anything to look after our child. Right. Okay. So Johnson versus Song, the courts took a look at this to try and understand. We're going to pull it apart and figure out what they could have done differently, why it went wrong in the first place. And, um, but it all comes back to the per- when people are trying to avoid probate tax mm. or many of the solutions around this, they certainly jump to joint ownership mm. or gifting. So we want to talk next week about gifting and joint ownership, the ins and outs, pros and cons. Lots of options there. We are planning your financial future. Andy Lister and Don Fox have been here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call them now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. Do it now. They will return your call. And don't forget about the website, Andy and Don, all one word. That's andyanddon.com. There you can listen to old shows and ask questions via the listener inquiry button. Thanks so much, gentlemen. Thanks. We'll see you Happy next week. Happy St. Patrick's Day, everybody.